Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Smells Like Business, where you can learn more about the current and future state of cannabis, CBD, and hemp in Europe. Every episode, we talk to different cannabis experts and entrepreneurs, making it easier for you to understand the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Tom, and today we have Alex Rogers joining us on the show. Alex is the founder and CEO of the ICBC, which stands for the International Cannabis Business Conference. The flagship B2B cannabis event is coming up very soon at the end of June. ICBC actually has two events coming up at the end of June. The 27th is the Global Investment Forum and the 29th and 30th of June is the flagship event, which consists of an expo part and a conference part. So if you're interested in learning more about what's going on with cannabis and the industry, particularly here in Europe, and would also like to grow your network globally in the cannabis space, then this is a must-attend event. Tickets vary depending on what type of ticket you get between $549 and $799, excluding VAT. You can find out more on their website at internationalcbc.com. On this episode, however, Alex and I will discuss legacy versus legal and how Europe should address this issue. Alex has a great perspective on the topic as he is an American who grew up in the States when the legacy market was booming and played an important role in helping activists such as Jack Herra and Dennis Perone move cannabis policies forward, but also runs cannabis business events here in Europe. So I'd say he's the right person to talk to when discussing legacy versus legal, how Europe should tackle this issue, and what we can learn from what the US did right and what they did wrong. So let's get on with it, shall we? Hey, Alex, welcome to the Smells Like Business show. It's great to have you back. And how's everything going? It's going great, Tom. Thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure, Alex. Never a pain. (laughs) Great. Yes, so it's that time of year again. We got the ICBC coming up at the end of June, the end of this month, the 29th and 30th. So, and on this episode, we'll be talking about legacy versus legal and focusing on Europe and maybe drawing some inspiration from the States as well. First of all, maybe for our listeners that don't really know anything or much about the ICBC, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself and what the ICBC, International Cannabis Business Conference, is all about. Sure, Tom. I'm an old school activist, 30 years now. Jack Hare was my mentor. I met him in 93 and I became basically what one might call a street activist and uh, just gathering signatures. Uh, Eventually moved to Europe for many years. Eventually I came back to the States and started, I helped revolutionize the medical marijuana in Oregon and that whole process of getting one's card. And then I started the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference, which became the biggest B2B in the state. And then I was like, well, time to go to the next level and really take the vision to where I always had, you know, thought it could go and thought it should go and probably would go. And that's internationally. And we started the International Cannabis Business Conference. We actually started it in uh, 215, but our first um, Berlin event was 217. And so uh, the Berlin event became our biggest on the planet. And so now I live in Europe and we mostly concentrate focus on Europe right now because our brand is so strong here. We do have a few other locations internationally that we will probably be going in the next couple of years. But right now, Berlin is the biggest cannabis B2B meeting point in the Eastern Hemisphere every year. 
And it's coming up June 29th and 30th. And we're expecting about 3,000 people from over 80 countries. And uh, yeah, it's the main hub of business for Europe. Nice. Yeah. And of course, I was there last year and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a great place for networking, meeting people. And then, of course, the talks and the topics and the panel discussions are super interesting and insightful as well. So, yeah, I highly recommend going. I'll be there again this year. You'll be there, Alex. And we've also got talking about legacies and legends. I mean, we're going to have Jim Belushi, who will be doing a discussion or a talk there himself and also performing at the after party, right? Yeah, he'll do a fireside chat with our host, Ungayo, uh, the end of the first day. And then the, at the after party, he'll be coming on uh, doing some of his Blues Brothers songs with the band. Well, if you're umming and ahhing about going to the after party, I think that should probably push you over the line. <laughs> it should be a doozy, that's for sure. <laughs> a doozy. Oh, nice. I love it. I haven't heard that one in a while. Great. So let's move on to the topic of the day and talk about legacy versus legal. So perhaps for our listeners who might not know, what does legacy versus legal actually mean or entail? It can entail a few different things. Legacy, obviously, is the old school cats that have been really the start, the founders and the uh, purveyors. You know, when I came in in 93, I felt that I was I was the new guy, right? The movement had been going on for basically about 10 years. It had had started in the 70s with normal, but that was kind of more of an East Coast thing, normal. And for the West, it was basically California, and it was basically Jack Hare, Ed Rosenthal, and Dennis Perone that were running things out there. Jack and Dennis were actually the main core. And Jack was pushing legalization called the CHI, California Hemp Initiative. And that was basically to regulate cannabis like wine. And that was very radical back then. And for me, being in this game for 30 years, I'm actually old school now. And I didn't know it. You know, I kind of just woke up and looked in the mirror one day and I was just like, oh shit, I'm old school now, 30 years in the game. But people need to know how this all started, why this all started. And so basically, Jack and Dennis, they kind of argued. Jack wanted legalization. Dennis said, because after the AIDS crisis and Brownie Mary, that kind of gave an opening to Dennis because the San Francisco police had started to kind of turn a compassionate eye to the AIDS patients getting cannabis. So Dennis started a club. So we're talking about like clubs before it was ever legal, even on a state level. And then what happened was 215 happened. And that was how it all started under medical auspices in California. The irony was California wasn't the first to legalize, it was Colorado, or the interesting tidbit. But legacy was was us hippies and rastas and just civil libertarians, you know, because no personal drug use should be criminalized, right? It's idiotic. And it's a new concept in society generally. We didn't push it because of money. We pushed legalizing cannabis because it was the right thing to do. And this was the narrative for the activists for cannabis for many, many, many years is hey, it's a civil liberty, it's a human right, prohibition doesn't work. Well, what happened in, what was it, 207, when the recession hit, 208, the activists were smart then, and they changed the narrative to economics. So when you, any polling point or anything they're trying to convince anyone of, it it was always like taxes or for the schools and and that switched and people needed that money. And that's what got cannabis legalized in America. Okay, so you thought it was the money that did it. I mean, obviously, after all this time, work and effort that had been put in. It was. 
But after all the work was done for basically being compassionate and civil liberties and human rights, what really put it over the edge in the end, and this shouldn't be like any big surprise, but we can follow, we can literally follow the needle and just be like, okay, well, there it is, the recession, the narrative change with the activists, whether it was Drug Policy Alliance or if it was MPP, whoever they changed to money, money, which is fine because that was what was going to happen anyway. So how are we going to get cannabis legalized? And so there was a lot of smart activists back then, big time activists. I started when it was, we were just like, you know, Jack Hare would pay me in his books, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. So that's how I get paid. And then I'd have to go to the, I'd, then I'd go to bookstores around California where I was traveling, getting signatures. And I'd go in there and I'd say, hey, can you buy these books? And I don't know. I don't know how many books I sold, but I sold thousands of Jack's books. You know, those books, like the old editions, are super hard to find now and are quite the hot commodity. Are they? That's crazy. I was actually in, he put me in the 94 issue. I formed a political action committee called End the Hemp War 94. And uh, yeah, there was a whole page in the 94 issue. And you know, I'll be damned, but I don't think I have that saved. I, there's so much memorabilia I didn't, I didn't save, Tom. But let's go back to legacy again. Really, California is a wonderful example of legacy to legal. Because what we see now is under de facto legalization, medical marijuana, California's market was better. You can't tell this to the person that might get caught for weed, but really, honestly, not that many people were getting caught for weed under medical for, for personal use, right? Because anybody could get your card. Anybody. I don't care how poor you are, whatever. You could get that shit for like 75 bucks or something like that. And then if you didn't have it, there was also something I think called an affirmative defense, which you could then retroactively argue that you should have had it, <laughs> something like that. So here's what's absolutely fascinating, Tom. Under medical marijuana in America, it was completely wild, wild west deregulated. Then uh, legalization came or adult use, and it became completely uber regulated. But that's the opposite of Europe now, isn't it? So Medical is uber regulated, it came first in Europe, is uber, uber regulated. And now, as we see REC come out, even with Germany starting social club and all this, no GMP, you know what I mean? So, the opposite is true. So, this is important context when you're talking about legacy to legal. What's that really mean? Now, you have the poor and people of color that were disproportionately affected by the drug war. First, you've got to expunge this. So anyone that had a record for nonviolent cannabis offense, expunge. That's first things first. And there should be incentives to go into the hood. And some jurisdictions, I'm sure, have this. It's a patchwork, as everybody knows around America. But some jurisdictions have this and then incentivize folks to go into the hood and start building businesses, whether it's tax breaks or this, and then actually empower communities that's real solution. And of course, what I'm saying is still kind of vague and ethereal. There's a lot of work to do that. But it starts to get a little more, at least put the ire on what really needs to happen. And this is just inside in general for socioeconomic issues. It's all about equal, op not equal outcomes, but equal opportunity, which is super important because equal outcomes doesn't really help anybody in the long run. But equal opportunity says, okay, Who's going to grab it? Who's going to grab it? We'll even help in this way and that way. But, you know, but for the most part, we're just making it as least prohibitive as possible. So as many people can, can have the opportunity to come into this space. This is an economic issue with legacy to legal. And it's all about you got to find that sweet spot because the goal is to 
in the black market, okay? Which is something that'll never happen. So the goal really is to mitigate the black market. So you need to create policy that's not so cumbersome to prohibit companies from really thriving and flourishing. And whether that's regulatory stuff or whether that's tax stuff. You see, people will pay a little more to go to the dispensary, to get a product that they know where it comes from, that it's been tested, right? They will pay a little more, but there's a point where they won't. And so you have to find that what maybe economists would call the equilibrium, where you're taking in a certain amount of revenue, or, and then you're getting a certain amount of taxes. But once that tips and you want to be prohibitive with the taxes, the, the fees for the licensing stuff, then all of a sudden, I can't grow wheat and sell it for a competitive price to the black market. And herein lies the main crux of legacy to legal. No, exactly. I mean, if the legal market doesn't provide the right quality or the price is too high, people are just going to go back to the black market. 100%. That's right. Okay, so let's talk about this from a Eurocentric perspective. How should European governments tackle this legacy versus legal issue? I know, for instance, you know, Germany was going to go with full legalization. And of course, the EU kind of stopped them from doing so. And now they're going into a bit more of a social club model. And I'm wondering, maybe this social club model isn't a bad way to go and maybe could be some sort of middle ground between the legacy and legal markets. But yeah, how do you think Europe should approach legacy versus legal? And how should they make sure that these legacy growers that have been in the game for so long don't fall behind or persecuted for their actions and are able to enter the legal market or have the opportunity to enter the legal market themselves. Yeah, right. You don't, you shouldn't mandate people that were in prison from weed should be the first to have license, but you also shouldn't prohibit them in all. So that's first things first is once again, even playing field, your criminal record shouldn't determine whether you should participate in this future industry for sure. But it shouldn't be a prerequisite either. Yeah, just like you said before, equal opportunity. Equal opportunity. Exactly. So very important. So very, very important. So with Europe, invariably, they're going to not do it well, because they're known for overregulation in general, right? They're like one big California, the EU, when it comes to the social state. And you know, I believe in social programs, right? But when it becomes a behemoth, then you defeat your purpose of what you're trying to do. You just take from Peter to give to Paul. You're full of expressions today, Alex, aren't you? <laughs> I guess, I guess. Uh, I'm from the Midwest, man, so we got expressions. But if you look at Oregon, right? Now, here's a state that did a, a great job in that I look at the market from a consumer's perspective. All I want, and I'm not being, I'm being straight up literal. I look at the market from a consumer's perspective. I won't let myself go any other place. And so I say, I want to get the best weed you know, the most variety and the highest quality for the least amount of money, right? So when the prices of weed started to go down on the West Coast, oh, a lot of people complaining. A lot of those legacy growers complaining. Isn't it like $2 a gram now in Oregon or something crazy? Man, $2 a gram for some really, really ital kind of herb, bro. So 50 bucks, you can get 30 grams of kind bud. Now, for 100 no problem all day long in any dispensary you can get top top shit for a hundred right so for me oregon is the is the best 
Spain has great weed in Europe. But it's pricey in Spain. I was just there for two months. And, you know, most social cannabis clubs, you couldn't find anything for less than like 15 euros a gram. And if you wanted top shelf stuff, you were looking at maybe even 25, 30 euros a gram upwards. Yeah. No, that's not good. That's not good. What's good is Oregon. The, The growers are complaining, right? But the consumers are not. And you have to be consumer minded. And if you're a grower, you just got to figure it out. You got to figure out, okay, do you have to scale? Do you have to create a value added product? Do you have to oil it all up? You know, what do you got to do? You got to figure it out. There's no excuses in business, no matter what industry you're in. And so some people figured it out. And the consumer is benefiting in Oregon. Yeah, so the bottom line is Europe's not going to be able to do that. But that's why you said the middle ground with the social club. I never even thought about that, Tom, until you just said that. And I think that's a very astute assessment that that is where you can have some type of regulation and oversight, but yet you won't have enough to make the cost so prohibitive that you'll go to the park to get your weed. Yeah, I mean, at the detriment of the consumer and also the grower, I guess. To the detriment of the grower, of the consumer in that social club regard in Germany specifically. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's not an easy issue to tackle or easy topic to address, you know, this legacy versus legal or legacy into legal. And, you know, the US is a good example of where it's been done right and done wrong, at least to a degree with, you know, Oregon and, and California, respectively. And I think Colorado are doing a lot of things right as well. But it's not easy. It's not so simple. It's not so black and white. But if you could dumb it down a little bit or give a simple message out there to people here in Europe in positions of power, what message would that be in tackling this, you know, legacy versus legal, legacy into legal issue? I would say simply look at the markets like Oregon, where it works in the States. Go to markets where they have a very clean, safe, regulated product without prohibitive fees and taxes, period. If you tax it too much, you're going to defeat your purpose. And then look to smart and efficient solutions to be able to do that. You know, here's the deal. It's things like this, Tom. Do you need to regulate the growing process? Do you need to have all these regulations for growing and this and that? Because that can be very cumbersome and prohibitive. Or do you need to just pass inspection when the product is finished? So I think more emphasis should be put on passing the inspection for the end product than it should be for regulating how the product gets made. Because one pretty much takes care of the other. If a grower's growing good weed, pass inspection, that's all. The market will choose that. As long as it's a safe product and a clean product, that's what matters. Other thing I will say is this, my friend. Now, Europe has shitty climate, right? So you can't grow a lot of outdoor weed, especially in the north, but in the south, you can So let's not forget when we talk about helping the environment, growing outdoor and like greenhouse style is a great model for Southern Europe. Do not think that the only way you can get a standardized or a good product is to go indoors. Because for one, that's not true. Sunlight weed is the best weed. And then also for the environment, it's better like you have your hoop houses or whatever, you know, you use that sun, not all the energy all the time, you light depths and so on. So this is super important that we have outdoor gardens. Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more. That's a really good point. I mean, I do see the the need and I do see the sort of reasoning for having indoor grows in a very controlled environment, but it should not be at the, um, well, I'll use the word again, detriment of outdoor growing. And I agree if these, you know, EU GMP and all these other regulations, if they're so strict, 
and it causes such a high barrier to entry. The costs are really high just to get things off the production line and with lab testing. Then it makes no sense. And also, at the end of the day, cannabis, it's a plant. And we should use nature, we should hone in on nature, and doing it in a natural way has its benefits. Growing it in a really sterile environment can also come with its problems. So it'd be nice to see cannabis here in Europe to be grown outdoors in a sort of more holistic approach, maybe taking permaculture into account and all these things. No, that's exactly right. It needs the sun. It's a healing herb. You don't want to think of it in certain clinical terms. You have to think of it in, you know, our endocannabinoid system, which is part of the whole circle. So let's grow it outdoors. And like you said, there's so many reasons why that is a good idea. Exactly. Let's use nature. Let's make this industry more sustainable. Let's use good ESG practices. Let's make sure the sort of legacy growers and the legends in the industry have a chance to be a part of the legal market and thrive in the legal market. As you said, equal opportunity. Then hopefully we can have a great thriving cannabis industry here in Europe and worldwide. Great, Alex. Anyway, I think we've just about ran out of time. It was so great having you back on the show. I can't wait for ICBC in a couple of weeks on the 29th and 30th of June. For all our listeners out there, make sure to get your tickets and come to the event if you have not done so already. Great, Alex. Well, thank you so much. I think we covered a fair few topics there under legacy versus legal. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, see you in Berlin. Yeah, we did, man. Yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Great. So that was Alex, who I just want to thank again for coming on the show. If you want to find out more about ICBC and thinking about purchasing tickets, you can check out their website at internationalcbc.com. I'll be there. Alex will be there. People from over 80 different nations will be there. And Jim Belushi will be there. So I hope to see you there. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at smellslikebusiness.com. I've been your host, Tom. Have a green day. Business.